Chapter 6 The Traitor No answer followed my rap onto the oaken door. Instead, it creaked open with an eerie and ancient groan. We stepped inside, our eyes peeled, looking for our mysterious friends. The interior of this megalithic building was packed wall to wall, with shelves upon shelves of books. Inches of dust covered almost everything. In the center of the room were three rectangular tables in a U-formation. They were alight with lanterns and candelabras, a magnifying glass with a handle of horn, lay next to an open and debris-free book. Though this hidden library was mostly untouched, it was very obvious someone made this place their home. Two sets of footprints led in every direction. Toward the back of the main room was a hallway, leading east and west, I assume two separate wings of the building. We glanced at one another quickly, hearing the distinct sound of footsteps emanating from somewhere down the hall. About time you showed up. I began to think the bunch of you were cowards. The gruff voice of a man in blue sounded just before he rounded the corner. He withdrew his hood revealing his face. Cinnamon-colored crew-cut hair, honey-brown eyes, and tanned skin. A faint scar ran into his five o'clock shadow. Told you they'd come, brother. A purple-cloaked woman's voice sounded as she jumped down from the balcony just above the entrance to the hall. Her cloak curled around her bent legs as she made the landing. Still squatting from the entrance, she flipped her hood back, revealing the same cinnamon-colored hair and honey-brown eyes. Their features, though masculine and feminine, were strikingly similar. You win this one, sister. The man said, scratching his stubble with the dagger he pulled from the sheath clasped to his leg. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the library. library, they said resoundingly. This is our best resource. All knowledge is kept here. Scrolls from Alexandria, Timbuktu, Atlantis, and even Merlin himself. Not to mention so much more. The mysterious woman said, standing up and walking towards us. That lovable brute is Titus. Running her head to the man, still scratching his beard, looking uninterested in us. And I'm Tilly. She said with a smile as she offered her hand up to shake. I began to reach for it, but was pushed out of the way as Grip hastily grabbed her hand and began slobbering all over it with what I assumed was his attempt at a kiss. Desert Rose never looked so pretty or smelled so sweet. He bounced his eyebrows in such an awkward manner it reminded me of two caterpillars running away from one another. Tilly looked down toward her hand and grip, a mix of confusion and disgust painted on her face. She pulled her hand away. Ah, uh, thanks, she said, trying to shake off the imp's green sign. Titus laughed at this display before warming up to us as he too stepped forward. It looks as if we've got our work cut out for us. He hinted as he cast his gaze toward the bookshelves. Over the next few weeks, we spent every waking moment studying texts and score, looking for clues about clockworks, reading spells and incantations of every kind, from hoodoo to Kabbalah, druid to elven, blending knowledge of both human and fae. Alden and Titus spent time jousting dagger to antler, grip fond over Tilly every chance he got. Alan would come to a rescue, the two of them would run off to the farthest reaches of the building and bring back more scrolls and books. I spent my time studying magic and battle strategies, anything to gain more confidence for the days to come. I decided when it was time to leave here, I'd bring the magnifying glass with. Among everything in the library, it fascinated me most. The lens itself had different hinges. Each one had a different color magnifier. I discovered that each color could translate a different language. It was probably the greatest fidget toy I had ever seen. found myself carrying it more and more often. It helped soothe my anxiety, though I noticed I flipped through the lenses a lot more when talking to Halloween. I wonder why that was. We spent weeks at the library and strengthened not only our knowledge, physical prowess, but also our bond as friends. We discovered our new friends were twins who ran away from an orphanage in London. They were brought to Underhill by a mysterious fairy who gave them the clockworks as a gift. 
before pushing them into a fairy ring. We learned that three of the clockworks never made it to the surface, but were stolen from the dwarven upon completion. The bow, the sword, and the shield remained somewhere in Underhill. The Dwarton lost track of the thief somewhere in the Armillaria Swamp. We sat down with a map of the swamp and began to discuss how to navigate through the mushroom-infested area. It was at that very moment when we were interrupted by a loud crash that echoed through the library. The glass dome overhead had shattered. It began raining glass down onto us. Shielding ourselves the best we could, we gazed upward. Repelling down was a team of goblins dressed in black and aiming what looked like electrically charged rifles. Titus quickly flipped one of the cables over as we huddled for cover behind it. The oaken door in front of us began to bang. It wasn't long before it came crashing down, clearing the room of its dust. A cyclops ducked under the frame and pushed its way in, emitting an ear-shattering roar. Banshees rolled in behind it, followed by hellhounds and minotaurs. It was an army, and we were trapped like rats. The room shook as enemies piled in. Our only defense was a rectangular table laying on its side, acting as a shield. My heart pounded. I heard Alden's voice echo in every corner of my mind. This is how heroes are born, Guardian. We fight. Before I could blink, or muster up enough courage to look away from the gathering army. I felt Alden's antlers fling me into the air before landing onto his back. He leapt into the air just as we cleared the table, his wings outstretched, and we began to soar around the room. His head tilted downward as we curved toward the enemy. In one swoop, he took out ten goblins, impaling them and throwing them to the wall. As we curved past the front lines, to my right was the weapons wall we set up for practices. Alden swooped in close enough for me to grab my weapon of choice, a scimitar. We began to circle again as we reached the left side of the room. Alden flew at 180 degrees. He pushed his feet into a gallop on the wall before pushing off and landing on the floor, head bent. He ran straight for one of the red-eyed and pissed-off minotaur. He impacted the beast with such a force it flung me back into the air and straight toward the cyclops. I took my chance and I shoved my blade into its massive singular eye with a squelch. Blinded and in a rage, it roared with fury. Before it grabbed me and threw me toward the large stained glass window at the back of the library. I heard the glass shatter before I reached it. A loud mechanical whir sounded. I collided with something that was not the glass I had expected. Instead, something caught me like a baseball mitt, catching the ball. I slid to my feet and turned. Behind me was a green-skinned troll, wearing red pigtails. To her right was a tall and slender cyborg. A closer examination revealed he was also Elvin. I caught sight of the clockwork shield as it changed appearance from a mitt back into its rounded triangular form. The troll smiled at me. The elven cyborg raised his right arm and a clockwork sword glinted in the new light casting from the broken window. Sorry, we were late to the party. He grinned, then yelled, Two arms! He shouted, charging the horde. Ooh, I 
told him I don't want to do this. He knows I don't like fighting. I'm a pacifist and I hate ghosts. Here goes nothing. Get behind me, kid. Obviously, high strong troll ranted before she shoved me behind her. How does he go again? Oh yeah, bruh! She bellowed and began to run forward. Her shield once again morphed, but this time into a large dome. As she rushed straight for the Cyclops, a middle bang sounded as she managed to hit the Cyclops dead on, along with a pack of hellhounds. She pushed them out the door into the edge of the mountain cliff. They were sent careening down the cliffside. Roars and yelps filled the air. I'm Hilda, she said with a toothy grin. Now let's get back in there, kid. Grabbed my hand and pulled me behind her. Like a stampede, she flew inside the main room. Her broken roar a mix of anxiety and anguish. Okay. He was replaced with a sigh of relief. You got rid of them ghosts? Yay! She began hopping up and down. The room rumbled and a few of the remaining books fell from the now destroyed shelves. Of course! I dispatched them immediately. I know you hate those. I've got you covered, Hildy. The elven cyborg gave a charming smile as he pushed the blonde hair away from in front of his face. Grip was sitting in the corner trying to catch his breath. Sweat beaded on his forehead. Alden stood in the center of the room like a triumphant warrior. His wings twitched restlessly, like he wasn't finished. Titus, Tilly, and Alowin stood to the right side, sheathing their blades. Where's Thelwyn? I asked. Titus and Tilly looked confused. Alowin's face contorted with shock. We've been here for weeks. How could I have not noticed? We were so busy with studying and practicing. I... I... Sentence trailed off, and she hid her tears. Come to think of it, I haven't seen him since the life tree. Spoke as he stood and sauntered toward us. I sense there is a traitor among us. Alden's voice rang into our heads as the room turned their eyes toward him. Don't you dare say that. He's like a father to me. Alowin shrilled. Her tears overran her face. She tried to conceal it, covering her eyes as she ran down the hall to her quarters. Titus interrupted the silence that fell after Alowin's departure. And who might you be? He said with an outstretched hand to the elf. I am Finn, and this is my partner Hilda. Finn spoke boldly. Partners? Grip interrupted. A puzzled look befell his face as he pointed between the two. Why, yes indeed, little one. He chuckled and ruffled Grip's hair like he was a toddler. Do that again and I'll bite your hand off. Grip snapped as he trumped away his skin purplish with embarrassment. Hilda blushed and batted her eyes toward the ground bashfully. Oh, you didn't have to tell them. She said, swiping her foot nervously on the ground. I hide our love, Hildy. After all, is it not pure? Finn spoke with compassion. Oh, because you're just so charming, and I'm... Hilda trailed off. Just as beautiful as ever. Finn assured her with a smile before leaning down and kissing her hand. Black! Grit sounded from afar. Love is love! I called over my shoulder to him. You have clockworks too. I nodded toward the sword and shield. Ah, uh, yes. Curious things, but life-saving. It is quite the story. Gee, anyone? Finn asked with a smile. Chapter 7 Armillaria Swamp Grip scrambled around the table, pouring tea for everyone. Frantically, he skidded between cups before screeching to a halt atop his own chair. It wobbled as he jumped onto it. Finn crossed his right leg over his left as he picked up his tea with a smirk. He raised his hand to hush the other chatter. He spoke when it quieted down. It was a perfectly normal Sunday. Hilda and I were on our usual afternoon picnic in the Armillaria Swamp. Hilda just loves the mushrooms there. Isn't that right, dear? Asking with a glance and a charming smile. Ooh, yes I do, I do. 
They are so squishy and tasty, and the flavor is to die for. Elder said, clapping her hands excitingly. Yes, I know, dear. Finn followed up as he sipped his tea. Well, there we were, minding our own business. I had just picked up some of her favorite mushrooms, the teal truffle, just before I began to dice them up in our swamp salad. This fuka ran by with nothing more than a loincloth, carrying these odd instruments. That's when he dropped the sword and shield. He was in such a rush he never even looked back. He just raised this strange bowl up over his head and kept going. I went over to investigate them, and that's when we were attacked by a dragon. I threw Hilda the shield and took up the sword. We fought it off the best we could. Hilda's shield formed a dome and protected us from the flames. It gave up and it flew toward Bramberlaven. That must have been when it attacked us, I interrupted. Of that I have no doubt. It seems to be hunting these items. Hilda had heard tale of them and suggested we come to the Lost Library to learn more. That's where we met you. Boring, Grip shouted. I've heard better tales from mute mermaids, he said, spitting into a nearby vase like a spittoon. He is so rude. That was a lovely story, sweetheart, Hilda said, cooing over Finn. So, we have a Fuga to find. Holden's voice drifted into our minds. Yes, but first I think you need to give Alowen an apology. We need to work as a team, and the less hard feelings, the better. I looked at Olin, squinting my eyes. He had a habit of standing in front of bright lights, like the one coming in from the now-broken stained-glass window. I owe no one an apology. I said what must be spoken. His voice echoed off my synapses. It's okay. I understand that's how it looks. I know Thelgrim. It isn't like him. I believe in my heart of hearts that's true. He can believe what he wants, but my foster father is no traitor. I have to find him. Ellen spoke, wiping tears from her eyes as she appeared around the corner. Ellen, you can't go. You have no idea what is going on. You don't even know where he could be. Tilly pleaded with her not to go. I'm going to find him, and no one's stopping me. She said defensively before turning and flying out of the window. I'll follow her and make sure she stays out of trouble. Alden's voice rang between our ears again. Alden, you can't go. What if we need you in a fight? You swore your fealty to me, remember? I spoke boldly. This is true, but if something were to happen to her because of me, I'd be no less of a monster than the rest of my kind. Than my brother. His voice trailed off on the last of his words. I could tell there was pain behind them. Okay, I grant you this, but report back to me in three days so I know you're close by. I gave a gentle nod, showing him I understood. He stretched his wings and like a jet plane, he took off after Alowen. At that moment, Grip jumped down from the bookshelf with a roll of parchment in his hand. Well, what are you staring at? We need a plan. He smiled as he unrolled the map of Armillaria Swamp. His tongue rolled out of the corner of his mouth in tune with the concentrated look on his face. For a moment it was quiet. As we watched Grip study the map, he looked up and his blue face turned purple, then red with anger. Hurry up, Twinkle Toes. You were the one to see the folk at last. Why are you just staring at me? He shouted toward Finn. Finn jumped up in surprise, like he was startled from a daydream, and shuffled quickly to the table. Right then. We saw it here, about the middle. It headed west where the mushrooms and trees began to blend over... His finger trailed on the map. Here. He spoke, tapping the point on the parchment. Alright. Looks like we have a treasure hunt on our hands, lads. Titus said with a grin. Or a wild goose chase. Grip added. Fukas are tricky devils and talk about annoying with their stinking riddles. Sounds like someone else we know. I grinned toward Grip. Looks to me like you're going to lead this expedition, buddy. Grip's face, purple with embarrassment again, 
I couldn't help but get enjoyment out of it. Alright, servicer, I'll find your Fuga, but only because you can't find your way out of a pint of Centurion Cider. He snickered, <laughs> sticking his tongue out at me. So, champ, how do we get there, and quickly, I asked. I've got that covered. Titus rang in, leaning on the table with both hands, a devious smile across his face. A smile that made everyone's stomach turn. This can't be good, I said, ruffling my hair in nervousness. Buckle up, lads. He laughed before he turned and waved us to follow. He led us to the back of the library into a dusty and cobweb-ridden storeroom. The storeroom must have been located in one of the towers, because its ceiling was nowhere in sight. In the center was a rickety wooden spiral staircase. I began to feel queasy as I noticed Titus began to climb them, beckoning once again to the rest of us to follow. It was a long way up. The few times I caught myself looking down, I held back vomit. It wasn't that I was afraid of heights. I was afraid of falling and these stairs were in no way maintained. They squeaked and cracked when stepped on. Some were missing. A handful of times we had to leap gaps where two or three steps should have been. At one point, Hilda, who was at the back, stepped on a plank and it broke, causing her to slip. I'm gonna die! She shouted as her balance faltered. Beginning to fall backwards, Finn quickly spun around and caught her hand, pulling her to safety. The only falling you'll do is for me, he declared, pulling her toward him. As if I wasn't sick enough. Grip uttered, pretending to gag. The two lovebirds brushed themselves off before beginning their ascent after us. We had reached the top. Titus pushed open the hatch door leading us out. Surprisingly, the exit led to the top of the mountain that hid the library. We clambered out onto its peak. Titus stood in a triumphant manner, his fists on his hips, elbows out. He faced the rest of us, and just when I thought it couldn't get worse, he took a sidestep, revealing three rickety old coal carts latched together. Like a terrifying abandoned roller coaster ride, it sat upon a rusted track that seemed to go on for miles down the mountain, with twists and turns hanging from cliff sides from one side of the mountain to the other and back again before finally vanishing into the forest below. Well, lads, you can't really buckle up, but you better hold on tight. Titus smirked. Nope, no way. I'm not dying today. Oh, Grippy, just for me? Tilly said, giving him a peck on the cheek. Grip's face turned pink. Well, that's a new shade. I thought to myself. A surge of confidence swelled through him as he began to Oi. You heard him, you scary kitties. Let's go. Let's go. He went to the back of the line, pushing on Hilda and Finn, who hardly budged at his shoves. We all began to laugh in an uproar. Our laughs quickly subsided as a low rumble began to replace it. Rock slide! Go! Go! Let's move! Titus shouted, guiding us one after the other into the carts before he gave them a shove and jumped in. The cart jolted and began careening down the mountainside. Every twist and turn felt like it might have flung us overboard. Trees and mountain goats flashed by us in nothing more than a blur. We all screamed just before the forest threshold. Tree limbs smacked at us. Grip spat a mouthful of leaves. Bugs splattered on our faces. Don't like this one bit! Hilda yelled from the front car as she stomped her feet. They crashed through the bottom of the boxcar, sending the makeshift train into an abrupt halt. We all went flying through the air, landing with a thud onto the forest floor. Titus laughed. I told you I'd get us here quick. Everyone all right then? A chorus of pained yeses swept the air. Get me down from here! Grip's voice sounded. We looked up to see him dangling on a tree limb from his midsection, seven feet from the ground. Hilda, with a little effort, reached up and snapped the branch, and Grip collided with the ground, knocking the breath out of him. I deserve that! Grip coughed out. Looking up, I saw the swamp, 
The tree-sized bioluminescent mushrooms growing around bubbling greenish-brown stagnant waters. Mosquitoes the size of hawks flew in zigzagged patterns over the muck. Gross! Grip! Did you crap yourself? I said, holding my nose and wafting the air away. The smell was acrid, an unholy stench comparable to the cross between carry-on and an outhouse. Shut up, surfacer! That wasn't real! It's the swamp! He fired back, getting to his feet. In the corner of the swamp was a moss-covered shack. Its stone chimney crumbled at the top. Boards along the wall were curling due to water damage. Cue the banjos, I muttered. You are an odd fellow. Finn shook his head at me. So, shall we meet our host for tonight's occasion? He followed up. We came to the door. I was about to knock when it flew open, and the strangest creature I ever laid eyes on stood before me. Its red skin had a leather-like appearance. Its face was similar to a goblin's, but it had a slight beak to it. Atop its head was a pair of rabbit ears and the horns of a goat. Long, shaggy and matted white hair went down his back, stopping just before the loincloth. A foxtail flicked to and fro from behind him. Its eyes were big and round, similar to a lemur. Nice to meet I, it said, putting out its hand. Uh, nice to meet you? That's what me say. Don't stay out. I stood there, just staring, not sure what to do. Surfacer, he means come in. Rip said, pushing past me. He makes soup, you eat. He ladled soup from a cauldron into some stone bowls and passed them around. Thanks, I think. We came because we were... Shh, shh, eat, eat, ask I later, eat. The Fuka interrupted me. Almost in unison, we lifted our bowls. Starving, we drank the soup in gulps. Finishing off the soup, my stomach lurched and I wasn't feeling very well. Looking around, I could tell everyone else was feeling ill as well. What? What did you do? I muttered as a stone ball fell from my hand. Chapter 8 The Trickster Here I score. The Fuka exclaimed, dancing about in circles, making odd faces at everyone. He put his hands on either side of his head, touching his thumbs to his temples. He waved his hands back and forth, making odd ululating noises and blowing raspberries. The colors of the room began to shift. The brown hut changed before my eyes to blue, then green, followed by reds and purples. The air surrounding my skin seemed to vibrate. I looked around. Tilly was laughing uncontrollably in the corner at Titus, who was trying to touch his fingers together, but somehow managed to keep missing. I looked toward Grip, and his eyes began to shift in size, first the left and the right, his face warping. The walls began to melt away and ceased to exist altogether. We were somewhere in between nothing and everything all at once. Hilda and Finn sat together. They were sitting on the ground, picking invisible flowers, taking turns smelling their vacant scents, smiling at one another with idle chatter. Grip joined the Fuka in dancing around. The longer I stared, the longer they began to resemble orangutans, chasing one another. My heart felt like a drum. It pitter-pattered and began to flutter like a butterfly. I looked out of the window that appeared in the vast and white emptiness. I saw the blue glowing mushrooms accompanied by a symphony of fireflies, flashing the green lights brightly to light up the night. Slowly, as I gazed outward, I began to relate to those little fireflies, so tiny and surrounded by darkness. Why, they didn't feel overwhelmed at all. They just did their very best to light up the night, communicating with their friends and family. It was their togetherness that lit up the night. That's it. An epiphany struck me. That's how we can save Underhill. If we do this together, we can be heroes. Just like that. It was as if someone pulled a drain stop from the sink and my surroundings whirlpooled from the strange and abnormal back into an semblance of normalcy. My eyes stung. I felt groggy like I had just woken up from a dream, though I was almost certain I hadn't been dreaming, or asleep for that matter. 
When my hazy vision cleared, I had a sudden realization. We were no longer inside the Fuka's hut. Instead, we were all piled lazily on its porch, staring back at the front door. But where was the Fuka? What happened? Where did it go? I groaned, reaching for my head as a sharp pain made itself known. That's a Fuka for ya, playing tricks. Picking up strangers and bringing them on wild and terrifying rides before dropping them back off where they started. Stinking Fukas. Grip growled, wiping drool from his bottom lip, shaking off his wariness. He must have given a sampling of stupor soup. A sort of potion, if you will. Thing yawned, stretching his arms, pulling Hilda closer to him. That was a bloody good time, if you ask me. Titus laughed. As he stood up, arching his back, he brushed the dirt from his knees. Only because you had a babysitter the whole time, you could barely walk. Tilly giggled, giving her brother a light shove. I stood up last, trying to gather my wits. Well, shall we? I asked, looking at the others. They nodded in unison as I reached out my hand to knock. The door flew open before it made contact. It startled me again. There was the Fuka, staring at me with his big round eyes. Nice to meet I, it said, putting out its hand. Uh, nice to meet you? I furrowed my brow, a new wave of confusion passed over me. That's what me say. Don't stay out. I stood there just staring, not sure exactly what was going on. Was I having some weird sort of deja vu? Come on, Grip said, pushing me inside. Me make soup, you eat. He ladled soup from a cauldron into some stone bowls and passed them around. Um, no thanks. We came because we were... Shh, shh, eat, eat. Ask I later. Eat. The Fuka interrupted me. Everyone except Titus put their bowls down. Tilly elbowed Titus in the gut, mouthing the word no and pointing from him to the table, indicating he set the bowl down as well. Titus rolled his eyes and reluctantly put the bowl down, but not before stealing a drop on his finger and giving it a taste. Not this time. No tricks. We came here because you were seen running through the swamp with a clockwork bowl and those. I asserted, designating toward the sword and shield. The Fuka's eyes darted unblinking between me and the islands. A long pause before it spoke. Me don't know what you're talking about. The Fuka nodded its head, smiling. Yes, you do. I replied with intensity, shaking my finger at him like a scolding parent. Aye! The Fuka exclaimed, throwing its hands over its head, huddling. Me steal him! Me steal him! From funny-faced man with square mustache! You no spy, are you? You don't hurt poor Iniko, yes? Iniko groveled, grabbing my hands as if asking for forgiveness. No, I won't hurt you, Iniko. I need your help, I said, patting his shoulder. Yes, yes, I help, I help. Me have magic ball. Magic ball make potions. Spooky, spooky potions from nothing. Just think to make. Fancy ball. Magic ball. Mustache man no have any clue what hit him. He began dancing around the room excitedly. Me have special trick too. You see? Boo! Before my eyes, Nico changed his form and I stared back at my reflection. However, I don't remember having rabbit ears on top of my head. Me you, you see? Good fun! Good fun! Iniko spoke eagerly, hopping in circles, clapping his hands with excitement. His claps ended abruptly, and he rushed to hide under a table, as a voice rang through the air. Guardian! Guardian! Where are you? Alden's voice reverberated my brain so much it rang in my ears. Something's wrong! I shouted, running out the front door. Alden crashed to the ground. I ran toward him, crouching beneath his wing. I pushed him to his feet. He stood shaking, covered in scratches and bite wounds. His blood dripped to the ground. Alden's eyes winced in pain with every step we took. Help me! He's hurt badly! We have to get him inside! I pleaded with the others. As they came to my aid, we hoisted him inside the food shack, where Alden collapsed. Alden was unconscious, 
His breathing was laboured. I flew in uncontrollable grief to Iniko's wash basin. I scrambled blindly as tears began to flood my eyes. I clawed the clockwork flower from my pocket, distraught. I couldn't, no, wouldn't lose my friend. I plunged the clockwork flower into the water. Green and gold streaming light burst out of the flower, just as it had in the meadow with Halloween. It had brought the beastly bug back to life. It could heal my friend. I watched as the light streams flowed forth and danced about the room. They came nowhere near Alden, but instead flowed out of the windows and under the loose-hanging door, completely avoiding my darling friend. No! Come back! I shouted, attempting to command the lights. No, no! No work! Not dead! Oh, dying! Aniko said, clicking his tongue with a worried glance to his window. Me fix! Me fix! He said, ruffling Alden's fur. You fix big, big mess you make out the inside. He said, wide-eyed, pointing to the door. Big mess? I sniffled, wiping my nose. What big mess? You resurrected. He said, unblinkingly, before continuing. In big swamp? That no good news. He paused again, as if in thought. Big swamp is big dead thing. I stood there awestruck as I watched Aniko grab the clockwork ball. He put a cap on top of the mechanism as he began to shake it rapidly, muttering to himself, Heel friend! Heel friend! He pried the lid off of it. Red smoke began pouring out of the empty bowl, enveloping Alden. Aniko looked up at me in panic. He began jumping up and down and pointing to the door. Go fix! Go fix! My mind clicked into focus and I ran out the door the others close behind. That's when I realized the severity of my mistake. The swamp began to come alive. Dead trees blossomed and the once muck-filled waters clean and renewed. But in the midst of the new life, bony and flesh-melted hands raised out of the soil. Hundreds of them, like blooming flowers simultaneously, they began pulling themselves out of the dirt and grime. Why is this happening? The Lady Vine didn't look like this. To put it simply, my dear fellow, decay. These gents have been dead for some time, and something tells me they preferred it. Finn spoke boldly, pointing the clockwork sword toward the apocalyptic scene. He cocked the hilt of the sword, and it ignited the blade with a white-hot flame. I looked onward into the faces of skeletal and zombie remains of trolls and bog hags. Then came the Vodanoi, Shishiga, Ruguru, and Kappa, all of them covered in black muck. The ground rumbled and quaked. I feared something much worse was to follow. I was right. Nine monstrous heads grew like trees from the ground their long necks intertwined, joining at the base of one enormous body. Sir, it's a Hydra! Fear choked at my throat. I remembered the stories my mom would tell me about the horrific beast almost impossible to slay. What have you done? Tilly called. Titus answered in my stead. He started the party. A malicious grin stretched on his face. Now let's have some fun, shall we? With that, we readied our weapons and began tearing through the now-forgotten swamp, each of us dispatching the heads of the creatures before us. I need a hand here! Rip called. I looked toward his voice and saw he was being held up by two giant slimy hands of a Vordenoi. Its frog-like mouth opened wide, ready to swallow Grip whole. I launched myself from rock to rock. Help! Grip shouted. Every second that passed, he grew closer to becoming an hors d'oeuvre. Just when the sole of Grip's shoe touched the Vodanoi's outstretched lip, my scimitar came down, slicing its arm like butter. Grip managed to get loose as the Vodanoi squealed with pain. One last swipe of my blade ended its misery. I looked past the field of now charred and broken bones to see everyone gathered under the dome of Hilda's shield. Two of its heads were missing, cauterized by Finn's blade. However, the enraged Hydra had begun a furious onslaught. 
Two heads slammed at the shield like axe blades, attempting to chop a tree to the ground. The other three shot lightning, fire, and noxious gas at the shield. The last head reached to the sky with a shrill and continuous roar. I watched in horror as my friends were pushed further back. A wooden slam sounded from behind me. I glanced over my shoulder. On the porch of Amigo's humbled shack stood Alden. I'm back, Guardian, and I'm hungry. His thoughts boomed. He galloped faster and stronger than ever, across the messy wetland straight for Hilda's dome shield. Using it like a ramp, he launched through the air and shot through the Hydra's chest to the other side leaving a Cividai-sized hole blasted clean through the Hydra. It slumped over, leaving Alden in plain sight, covered in blood, feasting on its heart. Grip turned green and covered his mouth, regaining his composure. That's disgusting! Do you know how long that thing's been dead for? He yelled toward Alden. Alden slurped at the last of the heart and turned back. I'm sorry. Did you want some? Grip couldn't hold back and let loose the contents of his stomach onto the ground. Chapter 9 The Rescue Plan We all gathered inside Nico's hut. After cleaning up the aftermath, we sat around a small wood fire. Alden stood before us. He had some news, and I'll admit we were all curious as to what happened to him. I followed Alwyn as far as Tamara, just as soon as we patched things up. We fell into a bit of trouble. I insisted we just patrol the area. Alwyn, however, needed proof of Thelgrim's innocence. Alden shook his head. She flew too close to the Dark Palace. Peering in its clouded windows, she was discovered, and it was too late. We were swarmed in seconds. Harpies by the hundreds encircled us, tearing at us with their claws. Alwyn and I fought them off. Knocking them from the sky one by one, they fell like drops of rain. In the heart of the battle, I was lost in the fight. I heard her calling out for me. He paused, looking at the floor, scuffing it with his hoof. I turned to see her dragged inside at the same moment. The harpy struck me from the sky. I fell into the river. I woke up hours later and heard her cries. I followed them to the west tower. She's locked up there, but she is still very much alive. For now, I fear we are running out of time to save her. Alden finished. Out of the frying pan and into the fire, Titus chimed in, standing up from his seat. Let's go, he announced. It's not that easy, killer. We've got to make a plan or we'll all die. Tilly reasoned. We're not ready if you ask me. Grip spoke with contempt. Not so hard. Meat breaking all the time. Good food, good food for Iniko. The Fuka grinned. But how do you do it, Iniko? I asked him for an explanation. The next hour was a blur as Iniko did his best to explain. Between his broken wording and the game of charades, we finally had our plan. We're dead. We're dead. That's it. There is no way this plan is going to work. Grip's ever-seizing optimism failed to astound us. It really is a good plan, Tilly spoke up. Yeah, give the Tyke a chance. Let him prove his worth. Titus added, You'll see. He may be a trickster, but that's his strength, not his downfall. I consoled Grip with a pat on his back. Grip's face was painted with the words, Not amused, written all over it. I'm in. I put my hand into the center of the group. Tilly walked across the room next and put her hand on mine. I'm all in. I never turn down a fight. Titus smiled, adding his hand. Of course I am. After all, what are friends for? Finn smiled and added to the pile. Hilda's voice chimed in. You can count on me to help save that poor little firefly. I swore my fealty to you, Army, and I owe it to her. Alden placed his hoof gently on the stack. We all looked to Grip with silent stares. All right, all right, I'll go. 
but I still don't think it's going to work. He hopped down from a box and finished the union. We shifted our gaze to Nico. Lead the way. I smiled. Yay! Me go! Me get you help! Me show you for certain! Me you friend! Iniko burst with excitement, dancing about the room. Iniko pushed the table aside, and underneath was a trap door. He explained earlier that he knew of a cave system that led to Telmora. We could take to stay undetected. He failed to mention, however, it was right under our noses, and he had dug it himself. With heavy sighs, we climbed down the ladder and into the caves. The trap door shut. It was so dark inside, I couldn't see the hand I held in front of my face. See? Doomed. Just like I said. Grip announced. Wait, wait, me fix, me fix, hush hush, grumps. I could hear him fastening the lid to the clockwork ball. Shaking it, he spoke. Bright and shiny, bright and shiny, you need a light for me to see. A whir and a click, and the lid popped upward from the ball. A cylinder of light held the lid in place, quite similarly to an antique lantern. Aniko took advantage of the newfound light and blew raspberries at grip. You two fight like siblings, I said, shaking my head laughing. We started down the cave system, and Nico led the way. Something told me this wasn't going to be a leisurely walk. We made our way through the dark and winding tunnels. They were about as scattered as Nico's speech patterns. I felt at home in the tunnels, though. They reminded me of how my brain can go off track, pondering this and that while I get lost in thought for a while. Relating one subject to another and so on until I've ended up very far away from where I started. In fact, that was where we were at this exact moment, very far into the snaking darkness. The light casting from Amico's clockwork bowl made our shadows dance along the cavern walls. Was it me or were the shadows beginning to dissipate? They vanished altogether as the tunnel turned into a cliffside path overlooking a cavernous opening. A few spots on its rocky rooftop let light in, giving it a faint blue glow. Looking down to its depths from a narrow path, I could see scorched and gnawed bones. This must be the dragon's home, I whispered to myself. Emiko's ears twitched at the sound of my voice. Yes, yes, dragons sleep here at night. Must keep moving. We no want to be snacked for sulfur breath. Almost there. Hold your centaurs. Aniko waved us forward on the narrowing pathway. I heard some rock begin to give way and clatter to the ground. It echoed through the cave. I brought my gaze back to the path ahead. There was an opening in the rock face just down the confined trail. A dim yellow light made our destination evident. Down below there was a much larger opening in the rock wall, but it looked dark and uninviting. The walls in the pathway began to rumble. I hadn't noticed, but the light of the cavern had faded away, and Nico spun around, almost slipping. He pressed a finger to my lips and held one to his. A pensive and wide-eyed stare washed over his face. Shh, shh. We need to be quiet now. Very much quiet. Dragon, come home. Oh, give me a break. You can't expect us to believe. Grip's protests were interrupted by a loud roar and a puff of flames coming from the dark entryway below us. Powerful thundering footsteps seemed to emanate all around us. We were all stopped dead in our tracks, eyes locked on a scene a hundred feet below. Emerging from the dark, the dragon that still haunted my dreams since its first attack sauntered in. Flames licked from its nostrils. It swayed wearily, tired from his day of hunting, no doubt. Its heavy feet crunched on bones while it made its way toward the other side of the cabin. As it passed, we began to sidestep ever closer to our destination, keeping our eyes on the threat below. It began to turn and coil around itself like a cat about to nap. Grip's footing slipped, and some loose gravel fell. A heart attack and every echoed thud as we stifled our screams. 
The dragon's eyes shot open and it saw us. Its head raised and its mouth began to glow. It shot an inferno straight for us as we dove inside. Just barely making it into the small lit cabin, the flames acted as a doorway and shut behind us. The tired dragon let out a dissatisfied grumble. His interest lost, with an already full stomach, the dragon curled back up to sleep as we made our way up the ladder to the surface. Tamara, at last we had arrived. This huge face city was once a thriving metropolis. Now it was nothing more than a police necropolis. We entered the city in a dark alleyway, though much of the city was dark. It reminded me of a time Mom and I had lived in Las Vegas before we had moved to Manhattan. If Las Vegas were a blend of technology and magic, science and arcane. It was lit up with holographic billboards, neon lights, and bioluminescent plants. A blend of industry and forest vines crawled up the sides of tech-covered buildings and ferns broke through concrete slabs. We sat in the alley and surveyed. Berries and pixies begged passing goblins for spice and soma. Offering what little they had, mostly themselves. Though the city once thrived, most of the locals looked to be in poverty. The ones who didn't were militarized. They were easy to spot like mindless zombies. They all had on that strange metal collar with the telltale blue light. The very same collar as the dragon and the horde that attacked us in the library wall. The patrols here were tight and especially dangerous. There were of course goblin units like the ones we had seen before, but they mostly acted as police for the citizens. What was worse was the militarized units of redcaps, marching up and down the streets with long pikes in their hands. The caps and beards were stained with the blood of their victims. They were one of the few I had read about in my book, Fairies, Fae, and Magical Beings. The same book that helped me unlock the clockwork flower. I remember it said that redcaps were homicidal fae, that they had an insatiable bloodlust. Redcaps' favorite activities were to hunt and kill without mercy. If they weren't bad enough marching the streets, we had to worry about air patrols of harpies gazing downward like starving vultures. Now we just needed to make it through the city undetected, and I think that was going to be a problem. Our only chance was Nico's plan. I just hope he knows what he's doing, and we're all gonna end up dead. Chapter 10 The Revealing Rescue It was now or never. We had to get to the tower to save Alarim. A chilling roar filled the air. That was our cue. We turned our head upwards to see Alden flying straight for the harpies. You didn't think I'd give up that easily, did you? You half-witted harbingers? I've come for a real fight. He projected his thoughts loud and clear. Right. The diversion landed perfectly while the harpies were busy and the city's onlookers kept a watchful eye to the skies. It was Grip's turn. He pulled out a satchel of goblin steel handcuffs, the same type he used on me when we first met. Each of us placed them on our wrists and were bound to one another with chains. While Aniko remained free, the wild gone. This was it. He was up. This is your time to shine, Aniko. I said in hushed tones. Yes, yes, I help. I good friend. You watch. He began to shake and crack as his form shifted. He grew taller. His shadow cast down onto me. With a snap and a pop, his transformation was complete. Standing before me was the epitome of wickedness in all human kind. Once feared on earth before my time, the wicked man who began the hostile takeover of Underhill. Adolf, an exact replica, except for the rabbit ears atop his head. You really can't do anything about those ears? Grip challenged. Sorry, me no perfect stink breath? Aniko argued and swiftly grabbed the lead as he took his place in front 
we noticed he had not one but two flaws in his disguise. Out of the back of his military uniform, Enigo's foxtail flourished. I clapped my hand to my forehead. Mm, it's a good thing Gobble's red caps are done. Hilda, blushing, trying not to laugh. He paraded us through the streets toward the tower. Every now and then I tilted my downward turned head and I'd catch a glimpse of a watchful eye. They had to know. They had to. <laughs> to my surprise, no one stopped us or questioned anything. Eniko kept on marching. Before long, we reached the front gates of the citadel that housed the tower. It was guarded on either side by two armor-clad and very beefy minotaurs. They hadn't noticed us, as they were watching the battle above. I followed their gaze. Alden was holding his own against the harpies. At that moment, he knocked another one from the sky. It came careening downward with a splat onto the concrete, landing between the bull-headed guards and the imperfect Adolf clone. The guard to the left spoke promptly with a snort. Oh, you can't be serious, Marty. It's the boss. You can't ask the boss for the password. The Minotaur to the right said whimsically, Oh, come on, I stand here all day. I never need to say it. Huskier guard whined. Oh, fine, if you must, but don't blame me if he cuts off your head. The moronic Minotaur stood back at attention, trying hard to avoid his eyes from the situation. With a snort, the deep-voiced guard retracted his statement. Right. Sorry, boss. Go right in. He shrugged toward the entrance. The large gates opened and Aniko pulled us inside. It was dark and very poorly lit. Tattered curtains hung off railings and stained glass windows, wafting in the cold echoed draft. It's empty, I said aloud. All except for me, surfacer swine. A tiny boba dressed like a butler said in a high-pitched but gruff voice. And you, what are you doing out of your cell? I didn't know the boss let you out. He said, looking directly at Inigo. Me am, boss man. Oh, really? I'll just have to tell the boss you think so. The Bogart butler turned to walk away. With a quickness, Inigo snatched him up in the clockwork door. Hey, let me out of here. You're going to regret this. When I tell the boss, he will eat you. Let me out. The butler's tiny fists banged from the inside of the bowl. Inigo frantically shook the bowl, muttering, Vent, vent, till the end. Whoa, hey, stop it out there. I'm gonna be sick. The bogart yelled. Inigo kept shaking the bowl. Friend, friend, till the end. Friend, friend, till the end. The banging and hollering stopped and the room fell silent. Inigo tilted the bowl to the floor and clasped the lid. Pink smoke creeped across the floor like dry ice. A very small and much more pleasant looking figure emerged. He had turned the bogart into a brownie. The sharply dressed butler had also now donned a top hat. Buford is the name, friends. Right this way. The tiny butler began to lead us up the tattered carpeted staircase, having to do pull-ups on every step. We were ever closer to Arwen and her freedom. But at this rate, it would take forever. I scooped up Buford and placed him on my shoulder. Lead the way, little man. I grinned. Buford pointed upwards as the staircase climbed. Be there soon, Arwen. I thought to myself. The stairs seemed to wind on forever. As we climbed higher and higher up the holding tower of the citadel, it felt as if the winding stairway would never cease. It was then when we came to an abrupt stop. There was a large metal door separating the rest of the tower from where we stood. Reaching out quietly, trying to make as little sound as possible, I tried to push the latch down with my thumb and open the door. It wouldn't budge. The latch was stuck fast. It was locked. I don't suppose you have a key? I said, looking to my right shoulder at Buford, 
who seemed to be as pleased as Punch with the ride up. Why, no, my friend. Only the master of the house is the keeper of the key. Buford replied, shaking his head vigorously and causing his top hat to slide around on his head. He's not the only one. Step aside, lads. Have it open in a jiff. Titus announced as he pushed his way to the front. Lockwork key, open the door in front of me. Tis passage I seek. He whispered to his clockwork and kissed it for luck. It began to whir and sputter. The teeth began shifting and changing. It stopped with a click. He pushed it into the hole above the latch and gave it a turn. The door gave way as it creaked open and the noise grew louder. It revealed a nightmarish scene. Lining the twisting staircase were rows and rows of holding cells. Within each were creatures from every walk of life, from scarecrow-esque bluebacks to devilish wendigo, sprites and elves, centaurs and chupacabras paced their small spaces, even creatures I'd never seen or heard of, and they were all screaming to be let out, to be free. Damn, go on, or catch up. I can't leave them here. Titus remarked. What are you talking about, Titus? We need you. You have the key. My heart pounded with a mix of fear and worry. Seems to me old rough and rugged has a heart. Grant him this, Ari. Finn smirked softly. Oh, I said. Tilly's the best lock picker I know. You're in good hands. Now go. He put an end to the conversation as he began opening the cells. He was right. With the door open, there was no doubt the whole city knew something was up. The cacophony of screams could wake the dead. We quickened our pace. Almost there! I yelled, trying to get my message over the ambiance. My steps slowed and came to a stop. I lost control of myself. My gaze cast to the cell on the left. I was being pulled in. A siren called to me from her gilded cage. She was floating in an abnormally sized fish tank at its center. Her voice echoed the halls, pulling Finn and Grip in, and we began to press our faces to a cell like zombies. Mm, we ain't got time for this. Back our fish lips. Hilda shouted, stampeding toward us. Just like that, she picked all three of us up and slung us over her shoulder, stomping up the stairs, glaring at Finn. When our hypnotic state died down, I caught a glimpse of the siren, who was now hissing at us, bearing rows of shark-like teeth. I shuddered. Hilda tossed us down onto the platform. We had reached the top. Scrambling to our feet, I looked around. There were only three cells on this platform. Quickly, I ran to the first one. It sat empty with only a pool of dry blood by its door. My heart raced. We can't be too late. We can't. I thought to myself. I rushed to the next cell. A disheveled man in a military uniform sat on the floor, holding his head. A collar on his neck, like those we've seen before. I halted here, baffled. He looked up at me with a crazed look in his eyes. A small square mustache sat on his lip. Adolf? I asked quizzically. The man's eyes glazed over and he began rocking back and forth, laughing maniacally. Confusion was cast over me. What is going on? I whispered. Ari? Ari? Is that you? A familiar voice rang through the air. I ran to the last cell. It was Alwyn. She was alive. Tilly, I found her. Get her out of here. I yelled over my shoulder. Tilly ran over and began working away. Why are you guys here? You shouldn't have come. He will kill you. Just like he, 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 
She began to sob. Alwyn, what's going on? I asked, reaching through the cell, placing a hand on her shoulder. Slowly, she raised her head. Just like he killed Thelgrim. She lost herself hysterically. Tilly fumbled with the lock. As we all bowed our heads, feeling her pain, we lost a friend. What was there to say? You know, my boy, you should listen to the stupid girl. A sinister chill ran through my blood. This new voice echoed in my head. It was cold and unpleasant. The kind of voice that belonged to someone twisted and deranged. Oh no! Alwyn shouted, scrambling to the farthest wall of a cell. She huddled down and buried her face into her knees. We turned around to find a face to match the unfamiliar voice. My downturned head caught a glimpse of a dwarven shadow on the floor. Almost with a life of its own, it waved at me like it knew me. I followed the shadow to its keeper and saw it wasn't a dwarf at all, but something much more terrifying. Alistair. I whispered, Clever boy. Now tell me, how does a delectable morsel like yourself know my name? The beast chortled with malice. His mouth foamed and dripped with slobber. I never felt fear so much that I actually tasted its shocking bitterness. Until his red crazed eyes met mine, the hairs on my body stood on end and felt like the pinpoints of acupuncture. This time my heart didn't race. It jumped from my chest, leaving me choking on the air around the room.